0: All of these things are about different touch points to young people, but we did see really you know, solid early stage evidence there that you can use esports to, to, to connect with young people who might not be connecting with, a let's say, a typical sports program.
1: I'm Matt Rogan, and this is the Playbook Podcast, where leaders from inside and outside sport share pragmatic advice for leading and managing through change. Today, we're going to look at a really topical subject, and every sports conference I've been at, whether physically or listened to online, over the course of the last couple of years, you've just been able to see it getting increasingly important. I'm looking to understand the increasingly new responsibility for leaders to build their organizations with social impact at the core. And yeah, that even means sports organisations. For someone like me who's grown up on the commercial side of town, and at least until I wrote my book recently, that takes a bit of time to get your head around. So on that basis, I was delighted to be joined for the conversation by someone who unpacks these issues at a global level, Adam Fraser, who's chief exec of Loris Sport for Good Foundation. This is a wide-ranging conversation. It starts by questioning the new responsibility that we as leaders hold and starts to process what the future might hold for any of us in this space, and and maybe start to help you understand how to land this in your organization too. We look at generational shift, how our cities are changing, what that might mean for those of us who are lucky enough to preside over a large amount of real estate in our towns with Stadia. So grab your trainers, get out of the industry bubble into the wide world we operate in, and, and maybe go for a jog or go for a wander and have a listen to this slightly different Playbook podcast. Adam, hello there. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Really happy to be talking. Cross the pond, huh? Well, well, look, we've known each other um, actually quite a long time. I was trying to work it out. I think we've known each other quite a long time. Um, I cannot believe it's seven years since you moved to Loris. I think I remember having a meeting with you six months, if that, into your time at Loris. Time flies. Um, And despite having had that meeting, I think Loris is, is, for a lot of people, probably not a very well understood organizations, so I thought a good place to start maybe might be if you could just give people a bit of a sense of, of the extent of it because it's a lot more than than some people maybe realize
0: yeah, I mean, thank you i think
1: um we We
0: do need to to keep doing a better job telling that story, but laurius is um uh, Larius exists to use the power of sport to drive social change. We the famous words of Nelson Mandela sport has the power to change the world, came from our very first founding event. And we've always done that in a couple of different ways. One of them is celebrating the inspirational power of sport via the Laureus World Sports Awards, World Sportsman of the Year, World Sportswoman of the Year, et cetera. And the other is through the work that we do with the Laureus Sport for Good Foundation, where we've raised more than 200 million euros to support programs around the world that are using sport to achieve outcomes in education, employability, Gender justice, uh, inclusion, peace building, etc. Um, and I think even internally there have been times over the last twenty-one years when we've talked about those things as as, as somehow separate. Um, and and so people have said, "But wait, is, is Laureus about this award show? Is it about this work on the ground?" And actually, I think what's really exciting for us, and it, it, this is not just a trend within Laureus but a whole industry trend, is the the understanding that Driving social change needs all of those things. Um, the advocacy piece is important. The awareness is important. Changing perception is important. Um, being able to to highlight the impact of the the brands who are working with you and supporting that work, um, being able to achieve the charitable outcomes of the, the foundations and charities that are supporting your work and being able to actually deliver the, the work on the ground are all absolutely crucial parts of, of Moving the dial, and and that's what Laureus tries to do. We try to move the dial for athletes, brands, um, other charities, organisations that want to use sport to to make the world a better place.
1: And I guess the reason that I thought it was pretty apposite for for us to have a conversation on the pod now was was that, you know, in particular, post COVID, I think the world's changed quite quickly, and the onus on athletes, but also teams, leagues, uh, those investing in sports in the broadest sense to, to have a sense of what they want their social contribution to, do, to be and also do something about it is, is particularly acute now. Um, having I was talking offline, weren't we, about a conference we were at last week when, when actually it was very marked, the amount of conversation around social impact and social change. It was ostensibly a commercial conference really took took me um, by surprise a little bit, actually. Um, and we'll get on to that. But I guess in terms of the, these playbook pods, we're also interested in the roles people play within their organizations and, and what they look like and how they're changing. Um, so you've, you've had the last couple of years as as Chief Executive Officer. Um, and I guess we're after a broad brush Background in a lot of different areas of sport. So, can you help us understand? There's a lot of people listening to this who will one day also aspire to make that jump up to the chief exec. You know, how did you find that? Uh, and um, did you find it a significant shift, or was it just a general evolution of, of your role anyway?
0: No, it was it was definitely a significant shift. Um, I think it was an evolution of my role, but I don't think until you are um, in that seat you quite and you know this from your own experience i don't think you necessarily quite realize everything that goes into being in that seat um and i remember my predecessor saying to me you can absolutely do the job the question is will you want to do the job because the buck stops with you and we have great governance i have great colleagues i have Great systems and incredible board of trustees. So, like to all of those ways, I can say the, the buck doesn't stop with me. But there's a lot of things that come down to you as an individual, um, and a lot of, of of kind of pressure that comes with that um, to to not let people down. Um, and as laureates, we're we're carrying a part of the legacy of President Mandela. Um, we're carrying the reputation of some of the world's greatest current and past sports people, we're carrying the kind of the reputation of blue chip brands. And, and and so I think we talk about it in our values, but there's a real desire to be a responsible steward of that. Um, and, and that that's uh, where some of the pressure comes in before you even start thinking about looking after your team, having the the right culture in place for people to enjoy coming to work and to allow you to, to grow the business. Um, And I have, um, as you said, I've been in the job a couple of years now, so the majority of that has been during the pandemic. We have not had people in the same space very much. We have not had staff retreats, staff conferences. We have not had many of the usual things that might go into um, running an an efficient organization where people enjoy working there. And and so I'm, I'm. constantly amazed by my team and and I'm sure people listening would say by so many teams in the in the sport industry and beyond who've managed to keep things going in in such unprecedented times because it really has been uh, like nothing I had experienced before and, I, and that has been the the interesting thing that the any role models I've had and I've been lucky to have incredible role models throughout my career but none of them were operating in this sort of situation. So there's there's been a lot of making it up um, in, in hopefully a thoughtful and, and well-planned way, but sometimes with a lot of quick adaptation needed.
1: Uh, and I guess an organization like yours um, yeah, has had its, its own challenges in terms of doing what it does as well, in terms of the work that goes on in the field, um, has been challenging as well in terms of those organizations you support to, to work actively in the field. Um has that been has been anything you've been able to do about that, or or have you sort of found yourself sort of acting at arm's length a little bit and just trying to support and challenge them as best you can?
0: I think there's a lot you can do as a responsible funder so So the work that you're talking about, Laureus works um, on that side of things by supporting sports based community programs. That might be a program using boxing to get kids out of gangs in Rio de Janeiro. It might be a program teaching kids about HIV in Nairobi it might be an employability program in London Um, they have all had in very different situations because there are more than 200 of them in more than 50 countries around the world um, they have all had huge restrictions placed on their ability to deliver that work Um, but some of them have adapted many of them have adapted in absolutely incredible ways and in fact they've they've Gone above and beyond the work they were doing before, um, to try, you know, in 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 locations to um, to to help with outreach around um, around public health recommendations during the pandemic. To try to give kids who are, whose schools are, are closed down um, and who don't have a computer at home a space that they could come and in a socially distanced way, be able to continue their education. I mean, it's, it's, it's staggering the level of, um, of, of direct service that they've, they've had to deliver. So we as a funder have wanted to be very flexible with them and work with them in doing that and say to them, how can we help you not be very restrictive and be like, wait, you told us you were going to deliver this many sessions doing this many things with this many kids, but to accept that, that things have changed a lot. And the, the big challenge of the the non profit space, the charitable space, and the humanitarian international development space is that when there's a need to respond to something is also when it's hardest to respond to that thing um, in your in your traditional way. Um and, and, and we saw exactly that with COVID, that the so many things were taken away from from everyone, but especially those young people. Most in need, most at risk, um, with 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 lack of access and lack of opportunities. Um, you know, it just exacerbated the gap uh, and made it even harder for our programs to to deliver that work. But they had to do it because otherwise, it it doesn't happen. There's no one else there to step in and support those young people.
1: For sure, you know it's. I guess if you, there's a lot of chat in the UK where I live about the fact that during the COVID pandemic, you know, people rediscovered running, people rediscovered. Getting out on their bike and things, and it's all very well and good, but that assumes that you have somewhere that it's safe to run after work. That assumes that you have a bike. That assumes that you know some things in a maybe do are at your disposition in a, as a middle class member of society. But but the programs that you're working with, of course, aren't in those environments at all. Um, they're in very different, very different walks of life. And I guess. Um, one of the things I was I was keen to understand a little bit more in in the work that you do do is is actually you've got even more focused, haven't you? Recently, in terms of the work you do and doing those in specific locales as opposed to maybe fifty countries and and different programs by nation by region.
0: Yeah, we'll always we'll always have the breadth of, of what we do. Um, in in as you say, we're, we're working with those programs in in, in multiple countries. Um, in in some of those fifty. Countries and territories that might be one program working with a very specific group of kids in a very specific community. Um, in others, in London, in New York, in Chicago, in Cape Town, in New Delhi, um, it can be multiple programs in a city. Um, and what we've tried to do with our Sport for Good Cities program, which we we launched about seven years ago, and called it Model City, and we do still use those those terms. Um, somewhat interchangeably, but with our our Sport for Good Cities program, we've tried to build on that where we do have the potential for that hub model and say, okay, here's what programs can do with our direct grant funding. Here's what they can do impacting the young people they serve directly. But what if we can create a coalition of multiple local programs and other stakeholders, be it local sports teams, be it um, mayor's offices, be it the education system? what if we can bring all of them together to try and drive change in that in that city um, because the sum really can be the, the whole really can be greater than the sum of its parts um, chicago is a really good example we've we've invested a million dollars in direct grant funding in chicago over the last 4 years and I can talk about the particular outcomes that come from the programs who receive those grants and what they're doing. But actually, what we're doing in Chicago goes way beyond that. It's, um, it's There's there's a whole collaborative effort between all of those programs who are then able to not just look at their impact on a specific young person or a group of them, but kind of across the entire community of young people in Chicago. And then they're able to use that to to call for more change, to lobby local government, to um, to, to stand up for what those kids need. Uh, so, so that that collective, locally driven, um, you know, bottom up, as they say, uh, in, in in the terms in the sector, that that drive coming from communities who know what the solutions that the young people in those communities need are, is is, is a transformative way of doing this work.
1: I assume it's it's. It sounds a little bit in some ways like the the work of a, a governing body you know of a sport where you're you're sort of facilitating relationships between infrastructure between individuals between teams between different groups that all of whom are trying to get them all to coalesce in the same direction around around your direction of travel and your sport in their case and and sort of your objectives in yours what what have you seen in terms of um those sports bodies that you've engaged with in projects like that have you have you noticed any change in terms of their propensity and engagement levels to get involved
0: yes i i I think more and more in a similar way to how we might talk about brands understanding the need to do this as part of their esg as part of their csr however you want to to refer to it i think more and more sports bodies are realising that it's important. A lot of the time, um, as a as a governing body, you know, you're you're looking at the growth of your sport, so there's a big participation focus in that, and participation is 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 absolutely critical to everything we do as well. If young people aren't there doing sport, they won't get the other benefits of the the programs we're doing. Um, but I do think even there, organisations are realising more and more that. The the untapped audience they have are the young people who are excluded from particular systems. And so those are the people they need to to innovate and to adapt a bit and to work through partners like our partners in the community to engage those young people in their sport. And and as an example, we've just launched a partnership with the the NBA, um, with junior NBA, focused around training basketball coaches across the U.S. in positive youth development. So really, looking at the 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 psychosocial outcomes of those of those young people and ensuring they have a positive experience engaging in sport and and these are often young people who've um we call it trauma informed coaching because they're young people who've come through through significant trauma um and that's now something that's going to be implemented across the the junior m b a s programming as part of making that programming. More equitable as part of giving more young people access to it and ensuring they have a a better quality of of experience and like in some ways yes that comes back to from an NBA perspective they're playing basketball and that's great for the growth of the game but it also comes back to being joined up on those that desire for um, you know social change and positive social outcomes
1: and where do where do programs like that stop and start I mean the old, the NBA course. Are- um, towards the more cutting edge of sports in terms of thinking innovatively about how they do it impact on their communities and under- indeed their understanding of those communities. Um, but does it start with them coming to you or you going to them? And those sports that that do come to you, um, what is it that's that's nagging away at them? Is it is it we we feel like we should do something but we're not sure or, or do they all have a very clear idea of, of how they can work together with you?
0: Let me say it starts with what's happening on the ground. It starts with the need and how people are delivering against that need. It doesn't start with us. It doesn't start with a brand. It starts with those community leaders who have seen, hang on, there's a gap here for these young people and sport can play a role in addressing it, whether that gap is education, inclusion, etc. We exist to support that work. So we are constantly seeking funding for partners, seeking collaboration, looking to to raise the profile of this sector and, and drive more funds to those programs, who can use it to reach more young people, to um, to do their work better, and at the same time as that, we have this whole, you know, um, whole spectrum of of brands, governing bodies, sporting organizations, teams, athletes, etc., as you say. Who actually do care, do want to to make the world a better place through what they're doing, and do see that as part of their duty, either as a as a role model um, in the case of an individual, or as a focal point for a community in the case of a team, etc., um, etc. Cetera, et cetera. So, it, how those connections happen can can come about in all sorts of different ways as to who makes the original outreach, who sees that piece of work. What when we're getting it right is when we don't try and Reinvent the wheel each time or just come up with something. It should not be me sitting down with the uh, the CSR director of a brand or the marketing director somewhere and, and being like, "Oh hey, how could we make a difference in education let's try and figure something out That work exists people there there are already people doing that work and doing it really well and um, the kind of the duty that we have and that and, and the stakeholders of this space have is in supporting them to do that work and, and make the difference in the way that they know best how to do
1: so let's take this into the world of pragmatic advice then so um you mentioned uh, as we were just chaffling idly before we started that you've been in a position of of as a journalist of of having social impact projects pitched to you and you've then you know uh, boot's been on the other foot and you'll have to pitch social impact projects into other people including to journalists And, and um I'm guessing you're also in a situation now where you notice a lot of senior leaders of those you aspire to work with having to go back and talk to their shareholders or other people about um, about their desire to get involved. What's the best way to, or what have you seen that works in terms of articulating the rationale to get involved in social impact projects? Whoever you are, whether you're a brand, you're a rights holder, you know, any tips for us?
0: I think, first of all, there has been a significant shift over the last decade or so, um, as to people seeing it as a, a part of their responsibility, but also to people understanding that sport can play a role in these things. Um, I, you know, I, I come back again to those those words of President Mandela: "Sport has the power to change the world." Uh, they're incredibly forward thinking you know he said that 21 years ago it's only now it's only over the last few years that sport has been recognized by the united nations sport has been named as a key part of key driver of the sustainable development goals um our sport for good cities program is cited this week by the world health organization as a key way to drive um Physical activity as a as a tool for public health in communities. So, the fact that the fact that we as Laureus, as an example, but you know just as an example for the sector, have um, you know the the UN logo on our annual review, have the World Health Organization endorsing our work, have signed up along with many others, teams, brands, etc., to the um, UN Sport for Climate Action framework. You know all of these things are, are a huge recognition that didn't exist before of the fact that yes actually sport can make a difference um that 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 during a pandemic and everything else going on in the world the world health organization is saying this is important you know almost places an onus back on those of us who 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 work in the sport industry to say oh well if 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 it's that important then we do need to step up um i think you can then get beyond that and talk about the importance of this from from the different perspectives of how important it is to to stakeholders, to consumers, to employees now to see the brands they engage with, work for, purchase from, caring about the community, making a difference in the community. I mean that's been a, a staggering shift. Um, so I, I I think the um, you know to to your your question of how to to practically bring it to life within an organization, um, it's understanding what your stakeholders want to see and what will appeal to them. And in some cases, with the exact same piece of work you might be looking to support, that might be because your stakeholders care about uh, public perception. It might be because they care about employee perception. It might be because they have a deep-seated personal um, interest in that work, you know, the old school style of, 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 of philanthropy here of like, oh, the CEO cares about this thing in this community, so we have to do it. How you get there is almost less important than than what you get to. And again, I know I come back to it, but that's why the importance of of that being locally led and not being me and you or 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 anyone else being like, hey, here's what we should do in this area of london here's what we should do here in nairobi here's what we should do in in new delhi but to to actually listen to the the young people and the community leaders they're saying like here's the role sport can play and then working
1: to support that is 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 critical that makes that makes complete sense and i guess yeah i noticed it a little bit with the um sort of chatting to people about the book i i wrote recently and I guess what I've sort of comes to the conclusion through those conversations that one of the other things that's changed recently that really stands you us people who care about this stuff in in good stead is is the fact now you can show it works, <laughs> you know. So now for the first time, um, we're just better at, at the data and measurement piece that so we can show that. Um, Kids who have two-minute activity interventions between in their classes before every single lesson, not just as physical education, learn more effectively in that class. Their teachers are happier. Their teachers stay around longer, so there's more continuity in education. Or um, those kids who take part in a, um, a program of physical activity are two steps further removed from early onset diabetes. You know, whatever it might be, we can prove that stuff works now. And, um, you know, back in the day, you and I had many conversations around the, the, the difficult the difficulties of proving sponsorship works and sponsorship sort of improved a little bit in this regard, but actually seems to me social impact work has, has improved massively in this regard, a result of our ability to measure at grassroots. And one of the things you do, with those organizations you, you invest in is you help them prove it. I mean, you kind of give a lot of help, support in that space. Yeah, we
0: something I'm very proud of in, in how we work and, and, and how we've worked for a long time is that we don't just write a check to an organization, make a grant and then forget about it. Like we actually engage with them and we look to help them develop their business. That, that capacity building element is a really key part of what we do. So that might be around an organization's Financial processes. It might be around their child safeguarding. It might be around an aspect of their curriculum. It might be connecting them to an organisation that's you know faced a challenge that they were that they currently face eighteen months ago and worked through it. And as you say, it might be around their their impact measurement um, and actually evidencing the impact of their work so that it moves from an anecdotal, hey, sports good for these kids, to a. Hey, here's how these kids did better in school. Here's the numbers um, around the improvement in mental health, or the reduction in crime in a community, or all, all of the multiple things. And I think that that's the that's the fascinating thing about this sector. It's um, sport can do all of these things, and every stakeholder has a slightly different um, ambition, a slightly different remit, a slightly different goal, and and and. One of the conversations that we're having with the World Health Organization around this this, this current piece of work is, how do you create a system around that um, that that allows it to really scale? Hence the hence the importance of our, our city's model. But I think it's also okay that those things happen in 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 some form of um, uh, with some level of independence. You know, I I can I I live in Brooklyn. There is the New York public school system is as, as big a public entity as any. There are also individual programs that are doing everything from um, teaching girls to code to um, providing food for kids from underserved communities so that they have something to 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 eat before school to reducing violence and, and, and in those communities so that they feel it's safe to do so. All, all of those things. Um fit together as part of the you know the, the holistic development of those young people in their community um, to, to try and weld them all into one movement um, as we're trying to do with the, the those using sport is a is a huge challenge in itself that, that in some ways um, you know is, is is never going to achieve perfection. We're never going to just crack this and say like, oh, we nailed the exact model to solve every every social issue facing the world. Um, but we do believe that better collaboration, coordination, and partnership can 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 go further than all of us acting on our own.
1: But for the book, I ended up, um, I, my favorite conversation probably in the whole thing was talking to Nicola Palios, who's uh, vice chair at Trammy Rovers, um, And she and her husband, Mark, who was who led the FA for a number of years? Um, took on Tranmere, which is a very impoverished area of of Liverpool, and Wirral, and obviously a big blue team and a big red team down the roads. And and what they've done there is is almost tried to create Prenton Parks of the stadium as the hub, you know, with the spokes of various activities going on around the stadium. Um, and what's been interesting around that one is is that actually. Um they're pretty unashamed in the sense that they've tried to use evidence of impact to create ongoing sustainable revenue streams so if you're between sixteen and thirty four um noticing you have mental health challenges and aren't inclined to walk into an n h s building, you might be inclined to come down play five sides and then talk to some facilitators afterwards over a coffee um and the impact of those programs is such that they're getting an increasing amount of NHS funding which just creates a revenue stream on the days that that the um you know the stadiums um the stadium's empty and you know there, there is so funding can come in different ways and I guess they're doing a really good job of thinking laterally they've built a school as well about how they use their asset just to drive impact and rather than having a laureate behind them they're just trying to sort of I guess, be a, be a little bit entrepreneurial about how they do it to make ends meet, but they're doing a really good job, actually.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a big, there's a, you know, a couple of things in there. There's a, a, a big lack of understanding sometimes when people look at this work, and, and you could say about any, you know, charitable work, people look at it and they see organizations with their hands out saying, please give us money to help these young people. There's so much evidence of the social return on investment, of the cost saving to government, of the, you know, I, I, I could tell you stories of young people who are consistently not checking in with their, um you know, their, their parole officer having been involved in the juvenile detention system, but who would always come to a five-a-side football game on a Wednesday night. And if they if an individual parole officer was then smart enough to say, okay, that's where I'll go to have this weekly check-in with them, and then I'm not trying to get them back into trouble for just missing an appointment. Um, that's, a, that's a very like, specific example, but the, the, the sort of systemization of that is is huge. Um, and, and I think that for your Tranmere Rovers example, there's also something incredibly powerful about the, the real estate of a, of a stadium as a community hub. I think that is hugely, hugely powerful, and, and just having that physical space. So many of the programs that we support are constantly struggling to find physical space to deliver for young people. Whether that's a, whether that's a, a pitch to 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 be actually playing sport, or a classroom, or a medical centre, etc. And stadiums actually really operate something of that. I think there's a, there's a huge um, it's possibly an, an area of this with this sort of hugest untapped potential of how teams can be using their stadiums to play a bigger role in their communities. And some are doing it, some are doing it well. Some have even planned it into the development of, of kind of new build stadiums or or, or redevelopments. But I, I still think across this whole sector, it's an area with, with huge potential for growth.
1: Yeah. I'd, I'd like to actually touch on, on that space a little bit, if that's okay. Because, um, I mean not not all stadia in, in Britain are as anywhere near the size of, of many of those in North America, but in particular in, in towns that grew up with football cl- football clubs and football stadia in the middle of them in this country, rugby to a point, um, in some ways they're the only continuity in a world where shops are shutting weekly as retail goes digital. Um and newer generations have less tendency to live all day Saturday and Sunday in a Witherspoons than, than mine did. Um, when they're not playing sport, they're, they're drinking their wages um, out through the weekend. So you're sort of having to redefine the role of of urban environments in worlds where they don't need to work in central town anymore, don't necessarily need to, to shop there, they don't see the need to shop there, and don't necessarily see the need to drink their way through the weekends there. And so... The stadium I think takes on a bigger responsibility in terms of providing a, a some kind of local impact and local connection and if it can do that twenty four and seven all the better
0: the magical thing about sport is that ongoing um, that ongoing connection it's why it's so sad and so tragic as we know when a, uh, let's look at both ends of the scale when a football club goes into administration or closes its doors or when a community program stops running because it doesn't have the funding, because that's often one of those points of continuity that are so important in, in a young person's life or, or anyone's life. Um, we have, we have programs in, um, in Mathari, which is the second largest slum in Africa in Nairobi. We have a program there that has been working with young people since 1987. Um, delivering multiple training sessions per week, games at the weekend. They run a a football league for for more than 25,000 young people. And these young people are living in in your stereotypical image of a Nairobi slum, in corrugated iron housing, without electricity, without clean water, without public services. But throughout their childhood, this program has been able to to provide an ongoing touchpoint it's a similar mindset to the touch point that your support of a team, that your engagement with a stadium, that, that these these kind of consistencies and routines you can come back to are really important in terms of our our mental health. Um, although, of course, you know many of us would say our sports teams are not necessarily good for our mental health. Um, Yours in particular. But, <laughs> as an Aston Villa fan, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. But it's... Um, but 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 these I agree with you, these things are absolutely critical and they they play a huge role, and that comes right back to the you know the 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 foundation of teams and 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 leagues and what um what this was originally you know the role that sport originally played in communities
1: do, do you notice um any differences between um the attitudes maybe some of the challenges that uh the kids that you're working with today? have versus when you started, at Loris. You know, we're arguably on the tipping point in terms of moving from one generation to another if you believe those kind of cake slices of segmentation. Um, Do you notice any any big differences now that it would be useful for the listenership to be kind of cognizant of as they start thinking about what they can do to make a difference?
0: You know, like everywhere we're seeing, uh, when I talk across the board, we're seeing the decline in, in levels of physical activity, we're seeing lack of engagement in, in particular things. Um, we've, we've had a couple of interesting pilot programs looking at kind of looking at both sides of the, the picture here. We've had pilot programs looking at how to use esports to engage young people, and we've had programs looking at tackling screen addiction. So, uh, you know, the, the, the technological side of it has been a, um, a huge, huge shift.
1: What what's come out of those? Any sort of nuggets that have come out of those? The the
0: esports stuff is really interesting. So that was in um, that was in in Harlem in New York, and um, it was run by an organization called an organization called Kids in the Game. And this was part of a fund we did, um, an innovation fund where we wanted to see people trying new ideas. Like, what are the ideas you've had that you haven't been able to get funding for, and that you're not sure if they'll work, um, because. Coming back to the the point we made we had before about um, data and impact measurement, it's important, but it means that people are then you know they know what works, which might stop them trying new things so we made this funding available to, to say try new things and kids in the game said there's a group of kids at these schools we've we've used our basketball programming our different sport to to reach the kids at these schools, but there's still a group that we just can't touch and they you know they they're more interested in playing video games. They're more interested they're, they're not interested in taking part in this stuff, and so they, they they devised this program where they said, "Okay, what if we actually train them? What if we coach them in the same way as we would on the field? Let's get some coaching for them on FIFA or on NBA 2K, um, and use that to engage them in the the uh, the camaraderie and the positive sides to team building and the fact that they're actually then." Um, you know, in an after school club, they're engaging with their peers. They're not going home to sit alone. They're building that. And then they, they managed to grow it from there to saying, okay, you just did this thing, well, we've got a basketball court over here. Let's go and try that out in person. These kids who had no interest in picking up a basketball before. So it, all of these things are about different touch points, to know, people, but we did see really, really, um, you know, solid early stage evidence there that, 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 you can use esports to, um, to to connect with young people who might not be connecting with a, a let's say a typical sports program.
1: That is fascinating because I guess it's our frame of reference on what is and isn't sport, right? Uh, you know, is is probably one of the dangers. Um, you know, I remember, well, I remember you saying you saying this these kids, we've tried our basketball program and we haven't quite got there, and they just want to play. You know, actually. The, the notion of if, you, if we believe in the notion that playing is healthy, sure, we have got to do something about the sedentary component of e-games, but at least they're playing and engaging socially and doing all those kind of things that that we know are also extremely good for for, well, for all of us.
0: We're about to launch a, amongst the other things we're doing. We're about to launch a toolkit in the in the US in partnership with um, with GoGo Squeeze, um, who are a, a, a kid's food brand here um, around child centred play and a kind of child focused design and not just saying to kids, "Here's the program we're running for you," but actually saying, "Okay, what do you want to do and the number one thing that comes from kids with any program, whether it's whether it's playing in a in a you know in a, an academy where they're just going to try and play a high level sport or whether it's kids in one of our programs where the focus might be education or employability. The first thing they say is, I want to have fun. I just want to be able to come here and have fun. And that's absolutely critical. And and, and different kids will have different definitions of what fun means. And so it's important to listen to them. And and, and that's what this toolkit is all about, is how to to have young people incorporated into the design of the activities that they're doing.
1: Um, You see huge results. And taking control of that. Yeah, it's... um... I talked to two or three sports coaches actually um, over here in that period just after uh, we were slowly getting back to kids playing active sport where there's a period here where the kids could play and the coaches could coach but the parents couldn't watch. Uh, And the coaches said that was some of the most rewarding coaching they've ever done because the kids smiled. Kids took risks. Kids kind of reframed the game or the tasks they were given in their own worlds. So there was no sort of slightly furtive looking sideways. And I realise not many of the kids that you work with um, have, have their parents kind of slightly overprotective and, and come watch. But the notion is the same that once you put the design back into the hands of the of the kids, actually some pretty cool stuff can happen.
0: Yeah, and I, and and tied into that is just the. We've all played for teams where there's a bit of a toxic atmosphere, and hopefully some of us have been lucky enough to play for teams where there is a really positive atmosphere. And the experience, and that could be a sports team, that could be a workplace, that could be a classroom. The experience is so fundamentally different if you approach it from, the, from a position of having fun, of trusting, of being positive, of, of trying things. Um, the, the lessons that teaches last a
1: lifetime. So look, we've um, we we're sort of running towards the end of time. So as I as I sort of take us to the end of this chat, we covered so much ground. I guess let's let's come back into the um, the sort of specific remit of of our playbook, which is advice for senior leaders. So you know, a lot of people um, right the way around the world who who have competing um, tensions of growing revenues, managing talent, managing player costs. Managing teams, some of them virtual at the moment, um, trying to engage fan bases. Uh, and for six or seven weeks, you've had this social impact, social impact, social impact kind of written on your to do list and, and got uh, and maybe not quite got over the line side to do something about it. Where, two or three things, where, where should or could they start?
0: Well, I want to say come and talk to us. I will
1: say it, but uh-huh. but as I'll, I'll, allow, I'll allow you unplug unplug Let this me part.
0: let me say let yeah. me say as part of the the come and talk to us. It doesn't need to be us, but talk to people who are already doing the work. Don't think that you need to reinvent the wheel. You do not need to come up with some grand new scheme from scratch. That's going to um, you know that uh, require a huge amount of work. That's that's going to need you to, to, to put all your thinking on it for a, a period of time, there is great work going on that will, I, I passionately believe this, wherever you work, whatever your organization, there is great work going on that will connect to your business, that will connect to your consumers, will connect to your employees. Um, and, 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 and Looking for that rather than trying to just create something from scratch will, will really pay dividends. Um, the, the second thing I would say is, you know, tied into that is this does matter. Like all of those things I talk about there, the consumers, the employees, the business that, you know, that's it, that's the organization that that we're running, um, any of us and, and delivering this work, deli- making an impact in this space is something that, that, that does matter to them. I kind of reject the, um, the, this doesn't matter to my stakeholders, um, language because I there's a part of me that thinks well if it doesn't now it will either when the their mindset shifts or when they realise it's a huge problem that you have a gap here. So I would say don't put it off. See it as a, a key part of your business and, and, and your growth and look at what's out there, talk to the experts, work with those who can who can who can build that pathway to to
1: communities and to driving change and
0: um and and you'll see the rewards.
1: I guess for me, it's uh, what's happened in the last 18 months, probably because of COVID is is perhaps some of this stuff that chief execs, anyone that used to sort of manage their their diary based on the sort of urgent and important grids where some things are are important, but not urgent, urgent, but not important. You know, maybe they had this in the important, but not urgent box. And, And so when fires are burning everywhere else that needed putting out, they didn't quite get there, but... I think it's generational shift actually in terms of employee-based in terms of customers that means that uh, you know, it's firmly and squarely in the imper- important and urgent box, hence the, hence the pod today. Um, so, so the last question, which I'm not going to let you off, even though you nearly just answered it, because you, you've you had a few years as a journalist and so you should be able to do this stood in your head. Um, if you were to um, sum up your key message from this podcast in 10 words or less... Okay, i'm I'm talking here this is not
0: my ten words, but i'm going come back to the come back to that 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 message of our um of our founding founding patron Nelson Mandela um that sport has the power to change the world, and I would just add in be part of it that's it that's not an abstract concept um that other people are going to do. it's something that we working in the sector can play a role in sport changing the world for the better, so sport has the power to change the world be part of it
1: very good well that, that's 12 but eight belong to nelson mandela so you can have that that's fine listen adam thanks for taking so much time i know we squeezed it in a bit earlier than was, than was ideal for you timing wise so big thanks and um we'll see you on the road absolutely such a pleasure talking thank you matt the playbook podcast is published by Pro and is part of a wider series delivering agenda-free, pragmatic advice on how to navigate your organization through change. To explore the library and find out about the Playbook Lab's Residential Executive Training Program, head to sportspromedia.com playbook.